There are three studies I want to share with your audience about vaxxed unvaxxed studies because it's not just my study. So the first one was published a couple of years ago. It's called the Mawson study. It was a pilot study comparing the health of vaccinated and unvaccinated six to 12 year olds in the United States. But compared to unvaccinated, there was, you know, twice as much chronic illness, eczema, three times as much neurodevelopmental problems, four times as much autism and ADD, five times as much learning disabilities, and 30 times as much allergies. I mean, it was quite dramatic. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. Today, I have the great honor and privilege to introduce you to, I think, probably the first, but not the last, uh, very brave medical doctor who's kind of taking a stand um, against some of the uh, ways that we do medicine these days. And he has lost his license, and we're going to explore these issues. Welcome to The Vibe Show, Dr. Paul Thomas. Thanks, Robin. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I really hope you're going to tell me that what that the status is that they've given you your license back. What what's <laughs> going on? What's happening with no. your case? No, no. So um, for viewers who maybe aren't familiar with the case, um, I published a book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan, in 2016 with my co-author Jennifer Margulis. This was a book that just sort of shed the CDC schedule as one option, but hey, there may be another way to do things. Uh, reduce the aluminum load, reduce the how fast you give how many vaccines. I had some preliminary data from my practice. I practiced in Portland, Oregon. I have a practice called Integrative Pediatrics with, at that time, 15,000 patients. Uh, the practice has shrunk because of all these board activities, which we can talk about later. But, but anyway, I had the data showing that my patients were doing really well. After that book was published, uh, the medical board in Oregon, uh, non-medical people may not be aware, but doctors are under the sort of jurisdiction of medical boards. Those are the people that grant you your license to practice medicine. Those are the people that can take away your license to practice medicine. And they are uh, appointed, not elected, and their role is pretty much supposed to be to protect society from dangerous doctors. And traditionally, those would be drug-affected doctors, doctors who are sexually molesting their patients under anesthesia, those sort of horrible things. Uh, it's really morphed in recent years into protecting the status quo, and especially around this issue of vaccines. So if you are not supporting the CDC schedule, and then especially in my case, writing a book that sort of suggested there might be another way. Uh, and then ultimately, sort of the interesting sequence of events was in around December, January of 2019, the medical board was coming after me now, you know, several times a year with different requests, <laughs> phishing. Uh, they said, prove to us that the vaccine-friendly plan in your book is as safe as the CDC schedule. And when I got that one, I was like, well, that's funny. They've never proven that the CDC schedule is as safe as doing nothing, nor have they ever proven that each year when they add a vaccine, that this new experiment on the entire population is as safe as the old experiment. Yeah. In fact, I, I believe that they're required by law every other year to test the CDC schedule 
ever since the 1986 National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act. And I believe that Bobby Kennedy and Del Bigtree have won a, um, have won in court against them. Or I think they just, I think they actually didn't go to court. They just settled and said, okay, fine. We haven't tested the schedule every other year. Like we agreed to, that was part of our part of it in exchange for getting full legal immunity. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the CDC can now no longer say vaccines do not cause autism. Like they're legally not allowed to anyway, comment on any of that that you know anything yeah, about. Uh, no, that's true. That lawsuit did prevail. And yet uh, I believe from my following of the news on that, they sort of removed something, but it was still there or, or it came back. So they haven't really changed their messaging on that, even though you're right. They have never, th- this, this was the big gap, right? There have been almost no good studies done, real world data comparing unvaccinated patients to vaccinated patients. So when the board came after me and said, prove that your schedule is as safe as the CDC schedule, I thought, huh, all right, then you asked for it. I knew I had a sizable amount of unvaccinated patients in my practice. For those listeners who don't know how I practice, I have only one requirement of employees for integrated pediatrics, and that is that they honor informed consent. So you can't work for me if you won't honor informed consent and simply stated that means the parents have the right to choose what happens to their children. We cover the CDC schedule. This is what it is. Here's some of the risks and benefits. We cover, you know, do you have family history reasons you may not want to vaccinate fully or at all, and then go through pros and cons and patients decide. So back to this data dive. So I hired a doctor to come in who was totally neutral. In fact, he was skeptical that he was going to find anything in my data that would help me. But he said, this is what I do. I'm an informatics expert. He's a former neonatologist, pediatrician. Spent a week in my office. And I mean, literally the first day he comes out like excited, like a kid in a candy store. He's like, oh my God, the data just jumps out at you. I'm going, what are you talking about? He says, well, your unvaccinated patients don't seem to get sick. And this is what I had known, but I didn't have data. So we got that data set, de-identified it, and submitted it for publication in a peer-reviewed journal, which is the uh, paper that Jack Lyons Wheeler and I published. November 22nd was the official publication date. It actually was available online on November 28th. And probably you can get a link to that for your, for your listeners, I imagine. It's in the... Um, It's got such a long title, Relative Incidence of Office Visits and Cumulative Rates of Build Diagnoses Along the Access of Vaccination, published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Long name, basically, it's the vaxxed, unvaxxed study that everybody's wanted. And Yeah, uh, I mean, people have have criticized the CDC for, for decades why they don't ever compare the vaccinated to the unvaccinated and they say all kinds of lies about why they don't like it's unethical for us to you know like have these kids who aren't vaccinated you know for crying out loud you could you could take my kids they you know like my unvaccinated kids you could get the amish kids so they have all these ridiculous lies that they tell but you had a, a large group of babies in your practice who from birth had no vaccinations, right? Like 15,000, was it? Huge group. No, it's actually um, 561 oh. completely unvaccinated. Uh, what I did was in this particular study, I looked at only those children born into my practice. 
And I did that strategically because I also get a large number of families who have vaccine injury and some other practice. And so then maybe on a subsequent child, they don't, they want to slow down the schedule. They've already seen one child injured and they're kicked out of the practice. They say, Oh no, that's, you know, it's unrelated. It's coincidence. So I, I get a lot of high, higher risk families as well. So I just wanted a pure data set of babies born into my practice. And, um, yeah, what we found was quite impressive. Uh, for the unvaccinated, they had less asthma, less ADD, ADHD, uh, less infections of all kinds, ear infections, sinus infections, lung infections, eye infections, which is so interesting, right? We, we, we vaccinate to prevent infections, but when you actually look at the data, the vaccinated individuals are getting more infections than the unvaccinated. And by what, what margin? Like how, how much more? Versus the others. So you had 561 completely unvaccinated children who were at what age when you did this comparison? And then how many did you come? Then then did you compare it to completely vaccinated kids or to? Uh, That's a very good question. I have maybe one if completely vaccinated kid in my practice. So what we did for comparison is we just took the most vaccinated kids, age matched them identical to those 561. And then looked at the rate of all these various conditions. Yeah, let's, let's start off, um, right here. We're going to start talking a little bit about a, a paper I published on aluminum content, uh, comparing the vaccine friendly plan to the CDC schedule. This is important because aluminum triggers autoimmunity. It's also a direct toxin to the brain. So, uh, Jack Lyons Wheeler, along with Grant McFarlane and Elaine helped me publish this. And the graph that I'm going to show you here is important for those who get to see this on YouTube. Basically, what you have is the aluminum retention in the body uh, on the vertical axis and then the first 80 days of life. And you'll see in yellow and black spikes of aluminum content way above adult safe levels. I mean, it's it's incredible. Now, when you look at a graph showing the amount of time a baby spends for their first seven years, seven months of life above the safe level. It's 25 to 70% of their first seven months. If they're on the CDC schedule, they'll be above toxic levels. Okay. Only- you're talking about, you're talking about this of being above toxic levels for whatever period of time is based on following the CDC schedule where Versus- babies are vaccinated for three diseases at a time, I think six diseases at a time sometimes. And so yep. if you follow the CDC schedule, they're way above that safe zone for aluminum toxicity for most Correct. of the first seven months of their life. Yep. And that's that's based on how they co- compute it clearing the body. Exactly. Yeah. You can look at body clearance and figure that out. And then, so, so that's just one of the mechanisms by which we know vaccines are potentially causing harm. Another is just something called immune activation. Too many vaccines too soon. But to move on to, uh, there are three studies I want to share with your audience about vaxxed, unvaxxed studies because it's not just my study. So the first one was published a couple of years ago. It's called the Mawson study. It was a pilot study comparing the health of vaccinated and unvaccinated six to 12 year olds in the United States. And they have one image, which I'm going to send you all these images so that you'll have them for your, when you edit your, uh, your discussion for your YouTube viewers, but compared to unvaccinated, there was, you know, twice as much chronic illness, eczema, 
three times as much neurodevelopmental problems, four times as much autism and ADD, five times as much learning disabilities, and 30 times as much allergies. I mean, it was quite dramatic. And then to move on to this study of mine that I was starting to allude to. So in, in response to the board's request for data on the CDC schedule, comparing it to my vaccine-friendly plan, we published this study called The Relative Incidence of Office Visits and Cumulative Rates of Bill Diagnoses Along the Axis of Vaccination. Blah, blah, blah. Big, long title. Basically, this is your vaxxed, unvaxxed study that everybody's been waiting for. And we looked at 3,324 patients total, 561 of them were unvaccinated. And what we found... Where'd you get, gonna, sorry, where'd you get the other kids who, because you had the 561 unvaccinated who were in the study, um, but where'd you get the other ones? Were they just compared to other data you had available? No, the, the, so what we did was we looked at every baby born into my practice since I opened my doors. So this was a total of 3,324 patients born into my practice over those 10 years. Of those 3,300, 2,700 were variably vaccinated and 561 were unvaccinated. Gotcha. And so then we just compared the unvaccinated to the vaccinated for a number of conditions. And what we found... Uh, the graph that, that shot probably should be printed on a t-shirt, uh, shows the, in an orange line, a rising incidence of all these health conditions compared to, which represented the most vaccinated kids compared to a blue line of the unvaxxed, which is almost flat. So almost, they just weren't getting any of the, hardly any of these chronic conditions. And this applied, it was, it was true for asthma, allergic rhinitis, breathing problems, behavioral issues, ADD, ADHD, respiratory infections, ear infections, ear pain, other infections, eye infections, eczema, skin disorders, and anemia. Okay. So, so and I'd love for you to go through the number of illnesses that you measured and like what amount more it was, like twice as much, three times as much, four times as much. I want you to go through that again because this is important. But also, can you can can you give me that graph to put in the show notes? And I also want to share it in my big Telegram group and on Facebook and all that. Oh, absolutely! I'll, I'll okay. give you this whole PowerPoint, and you'll have it. Okay. Um, so, so, is it, so you and you weren't even comparing kids who were getting vaccinated on the CDC schedule because you don't have those kids in your practice. So you were you were showing that the kids who weren't vaccinated at all are practically a flat line for disease, if I'm hearing you correctly, whereas the yep. kids that were being vaccinated, even though in your practice, they were pretty much all slowed down, spaced apart, Correct. they were still dramatically, radically different. Correct. So I would say in my practice, on average, kids get about half the, the number of vaccines that the kids who follow the CDC schedule get. Uh, but it's all variable because each parent makes a decision on every vaccine. It's individualized. But you're absolutely right. If we could do this study with a, a fully vaccinated CDC schedule group of kids, I think the findings would be even more dramatic. By the now, way, I am. I'm. If if I still had young children, mine mine are all adults, and that's part of why I feel a responsibility right now to speak out, even though it jeopardizes my platform. I get. All the things, right? All the things on all the censoring sanctions. I'm always in trouble, uh, but I, you know, I don't have a medical license to take, thankfully. But I am your demographic, and I would have had my children had I lived in Portland in your practice because I had a vaccine-injured child, 
I refused to vaccinate starting with the third one. So the, the last two had have never had a vaccination that we stopped once the second one had her first two shots. And I was like, wait a minute, she's now having asthma. Now she has eczema. Um, and then I yeah. started reading, I read voluminously, your book wasn't out yet. Um, and then I had, to, and then I got kicked out of the practice because I went in for an ear infection with my third child who's not vaccinated. And the physician who saw her said, is she fully vaccinated? And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I said, by my choice. And she said, then you're not welcome here. I'm going to get your medical records, get out. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's happening more and more. The Academy of Pediatrics is condoning that behavior where you can discharge patients for the reason, simply for their exercising their legal right not to vaccinate if they so desire. It's it's insanity, really. So I'll go through some of these conditions and give you real numbers since you have an audience that's listening and, and won't necessarily see these graphs. For asthma, if we look at the uh, sort of the middle of the graph, say 2,000 days of life, so that would be what, that'd be like a four, five, six-year-old. Uh, we had, now this is total visits in this entire group of, of patients. There were 50 total visits in the unvaxxed for asthma and over 300 visits for the vaccinated. So that gives you a sense of the magnitude. For allergic rhinitis, we were looking at about a little less than 50 compared to 300. Sinusitis, we're looking at about 20 cases in the unvaxxed compared to about 60, so three times as much. Breathing issues, a little under 200 compared to 600, so three times as much. Behavioral issues, about a little over 50 compared to close to 200, so four times as much uh, the vaccinated kids would have. ADHD was interesting. We don't diagnose ADHD uh, until about age four, five, six, and then, you know, you diagnose it. The older the kids, the more likely you are to be diagnosed with it. We had zero ADHD in my practice for the entire 10 years in the unvaccinated, absolutely no cases. And for the vaccinated, we go from zero at about four years up to 140 cases uh, by that midpoint. For respiratory infection, about a thousand, oh, fifteen hundred for the unvaxxed and almost five thousand for the vaccinated. So again, a magnitude of three to four times increase. See the same pattern with in ear infections, about a thousand in the unvaxxed and three thousand in the vaccinated. Same with ear pain. Yeah, pretty much a similar magnitude for all of these, about three times usually a little over three times as much eye infections. Oh, eczema was pretty dramatic. Unvaxxed were around 100 cases. Vaccinated were at 500 cases, so five times as much eczema. And anemia was a very interesting one. I, I was shocked to find this out. So pediatricians, since for the last 35 years since I've been a pediatrician, we screen nine-month-olds for anemia to make sure you're not anemic. It's just a little finger poke and make sure your body's making enough red blood cells. The reason we do that is the knowledge that if you are anemic as an infant, it is bad for brain development. Well, our data showed the unvaxxed had about a little less than 200 cases of anemia. The vaccinated had over a, about 1,000. So a five-fold dramatic increase in anemia in the vaccinated. And if that's, well, we know that's linked to developmental issues that should be a big concern for folks. We looked at gastroenteritis, which is vomiting and diarrhea. 
a little over 100 cases in the unvax, over 600 cases in the vaccinated. So what was the response of the medical board to all of this? Well, within five days of after that being available, they suspended my license on an emergency basis. So, so it was releasing this data that, that they suspended your license. Of course, they, were, they had been persecuting you for years. Am I right? And, and none of it was that your patients yeah. were reporting you. Zero of it, as I understand. Is that right? Right. So, so uh, only one of the multiple board complaints uh, over the last several years was supposedly patient-directed, although uh, we've since learned that it was just a targeting effort. That particular parent from 2013 was married to a physician, and there's a there's an effort on the part of physicians in Portland to uh, get Dr. Paul. So, uh, but n- none of the other complaints that are on the emergency suspension order were triggered by patient complaints. So, like, all those numbers that you told me, I was writing them down. They were all that even spacing the vaccines out or doing fewer of them or whatever your plan is, because you were looking at the mercury and aluminum toxicity and you were wanting to not triple load them. Um, 300% to 600% were the numbers that I heard. And that's, and how, how can we, is this ever going to come out? How to compare your 561 patients who were born and into your practice and were never vaccinated to be compared to those who are vac- vaccinated according to the CDC schedule, because that's got to be, you know, I'm just inferring here, you know, can't prove sure. it. It's got to be a th- the, the a thousand percent worse. Well, one could speculate. You're right. I think that the easiest way to compare it is just to look at the, the natural prevalence of these disorders in, in the U S population, because you know, the, the U.S. population is at least 95% are fully vaccinated according to the, the CDC schedule by, by most reports. Really? Yeah. So, um, so you could look at, you know, what's the prevalence of ADD or ADHD or any of those things. And, um, you know, it's pretty high. I mean, 54% of U.S. children are chronically ill. 13% are in special ed. One in six has a developmental disorder. Um, 11% have ADD or ADHD. I mean, these are all numbers that are far in excess of my numbers, even in my vaccinated population. So, so I think that's at this point, the, the study doesn't exist comparing the CDC schedule, uh, to unvaxxed kids. I do have a prospective registry that is ongoing called the Pediatric Health Outcomes Initiative. And, um, this is the only study I'm aware of that's ongoing, uh, where we, we're enrolling newborns at birth and then tracking their health for 18 years. And that study, if you have researchers, you're, you're a part of this research. Yeah. I'm, I'm the primary investigator that thought this up. Yeah. If people want to support that, cause it's, 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 of course, it's not funded by <laughs> any major funders, right? Of course. So it's phoinitiative.org is the website where one can go. It's a nonprofit, so you can get your tax deduction for a nonprofit donation. All the money goes to the actual work. Uh, there's nothing, no administrative costs. We're doing everything volunteer. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes for sure, but it's pho, like the... Vietnamese soup or whatever that is. I've never eaten it myself, but phoinitiative.org. Yep. 
Okay, those of you who can, you know, I know that we talk to a lot of people on this show who need help, but it's because they are great American heroes, and in some cases, great international heroes who are doing brave work. And I mean, Dr. Thomas, I think you knew for years that this would end your career, the kind of bravery (laughs) that you showed. Am I wrong? No, you're right. So the book that I wrote, The Vaccine-Friendly Plan, I knew would start the journey towards me losing my license. And then when I decided to publish this research, I kind of figured this would be the last blow. I just didn't think it would come as fast as it did. I mean, they wasted no time. It was like, bam, five days after it was available online. And it could be only explained by as a retaliatory move on their part because we had ongoing requests for other information that I was still in the process. I had time to fulfill other requests. They still come up with the most bizarre requests for information. Uh, I mean, the latest one this week was back in 2015, I had a couple college students help me with research and they're asking for their names. Like, I have no idea what that has to do with emergency suspension. <laughs> it's, just, it's just laughable. It's so, it's so amazing. Yeah, it's, um, it's harassment. It's persecution. It's legal, legal. I don't know if you'd call it extortion, but for sure it's, it's persecution and they just don't want the information that you have out there because the CDC, the whole, the whole American government, the whole worldwide government has been suppressing this information for a very long time. The fact that we are making these children, 54% of them have chronic disease. I mean, at this point, it's a minority of kids who are even healthy. And it, and that's up from what, 6% when I was a kid? I'm 54. Yeah, it just gets higher and higher. I mean, when I was a kid, there was, there was no autism. There was virtually no, no ADD or ADHD or allergies or asthma eczema, none of that stuff. I mean, we, yeah. we had, sure, we had measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, and occasional strep throats and some dysentery, diarrhea stuff, but none of the chronic disease that we see today. And it's not yeah. just vaccines for your listeners. I mean, it's to- we live in a really toxic world, right? I mean, the, the glyphosate, the, the pesticides and herbicides in our food, um, toxic stress. I mean, just talk about what they're doing with the response to COVID and putting people in isolation and forcing you to wear masks. It's, it's, this is all not really in our benefit for health. Yeah. Everyone should go get your book, not just because it's a great gift to give to someone who has a new baby. And it's, you know, when, when young moms, I mean, I don't know. That's the one part of God's plan. I don't understand is why he lets 21 year olds have babies. We're like really (laughs) barely babies ourselves. Right. But and we think we know everything. It's at that age when we think we know everything. We don't want to hear what our mothers have to say yet. Um, and, and we start having babies and we think that the doctor is the educated person who to give us the advice. And, you know, and I'm constantly telling people, ask your doctor for five ingredients in the vaccine. Ask your doctor for five of the, um, just to quiz your doctor, see what they know, because they will find out very quickly. The doctor knows nothing. The vast majority of them know nothing about the autoimmune diseases, the cancers, the neurodegenerative diseases related to that vaccine. They're linked to that vaccine that they have to put in the insert because if they, because they're required to put it in the insert. And once it's in there, as long as it's in there, they can't be sued for it. So they, they do put it in there. 
Um, how many, how many patients do you have? Well, this isn't even really a fair question because you have the educated parents who are willing to buck the system. That's why they came to you. I'm sure that wasn't your intention starting out, but like I, I what I want to ask like a regular pediatrician is how many parents even say, Hey, can we get the vaccine insert out? And can we talk about the diseases related to it? I mean, what do your colleagues say? Do, do patients even ask or parents of patients even ask for that information? No. And if you think about the response of our country to COVID, I mean, this, these are experimental vaccines, if you even want to call them a vaccine. And because they, they did such a great job of creating fear, I mean, people are rolling up their sleeves for a product that has no liability, has no long-term safety testing. It's, it's insanity. And I think, you know, this mantra of vaccines are safe and effective that the, um, you know, the pharma and public health, you know, they've just sort of rolled that out and people just accept it almost like a religion. So yeah, yeah they, you know, I do have parents, a large percentage of my families are, are self-educated. They're the most knowledgeable parents really. And they don't even ask for the package insert because they've already looked at it online. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you uh, get, you get a really unusual demographic who comes to you to, with their, right their damaged children, but then they've already done some research. I mean, I became very, very educated. And in fact, from the first few people that I told that I wasn't, uh, that I wasn't vaccinating my children anymore, I got such an angry backlash about it that I learned not only to not tell people, not tell my friends, I didn't even tell my children's father who I was married to at the time for 20 years. (laughs) I did not even tell him like something told me just don't even tell him because you know, and it's a good thing, you know, many, many years later, we got divorced, but I would hate to think, oh, he's going to run my kid to the doctor and get right. them vaccinated. And yeah, and that happens more often than you'd like to, to believe, you know, you have one, if you get into a divorce situation and one parent really is vaccine risk aware as you are, so you know that vaccines carry significant risk, the parent who wants to vaccinate almost always wins because they can get a long lineup of experts willing to testify. Oh, vaccines are safe and effective, right? I got a, um, on this, this last Sunday, I got a text from someone who follows green smoothie girl and, um, had come to one of my Swiss retreats that I did for 10 years before they all got shut down by this whole thing. And she, and she's not really down the rabbit hole. And I think she's pretty pro vaccine, but she was in the emergency room and she said, uh, I'm here with my 22 year old daughter admitting her for a complete psychotic break that she's had ever since she got the vaccine. And she said, and the psychiatrist who she was doing great, she was working this daughter, she was doing great. She hadn't seen a shrink in well over a year and she got the shot. And, and the psychiatrist here is telling me we're seeing a lot of this. And she said, it sure would have been nice to know that um, when she was getting the shot. And I said to her, I'll leave her name out of it. She's a form, famous former athlete. Um, just incredible accolades in her sport. Yeah. Uh, And she said, she said, I sure wish I had known. And I said, but your daughter and all the people who are getting the vaccine are the data that they will later have to put in the insert for others. Like they're not, there is no informed consent. They don't have to, but but the fact that the psychiatrist said to her, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. I saw somebody in one of my uh, telegram groups say that in Australia, they had been calling for um, 24 hours to try to get emergency personnel for a 30 year old in their family who is having seizures and 
horrible reactions to the COVID vaccine and they couldn't get the ER personnel out because they were too busy with other people with the exact same reactions. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the COVID vaccine seems to have the worst profile for safety of anything I've ever seen. And yet they don't pull it off the market. I, I think it's, it's too big to fail, right? The, the, the program is more important than the data. Yeah. It appears that way. I, um, I was with my brother recently who, uh, got the COVID vaccine. And when he told me that I just about, I was, I was trying to manage myself. So I didn't start crying because I had talked to him <laughs> many times and he's the only one in my family who isn't very, very aware. And he just believes in Western medicine and, you know, like all these smart people in the vaccine industry. And he knows some of them, they're inside the industry. So he'd rather listen to them than to me, even though I've put my 10,000 hours in on this topic yeah. or I don't know if it's 10,000, but it's, it's in the thousands. And of course I have, I, you know, the same year my son was vaccine injured, I was injured by a, a flu vaccine and spent the entire winter sick with one thing after another. And then at the end of it, it was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and I'd been completely healthy before, but I had to get it for grad school. So I, um, I got a master's degree in social work and a PhD in clinical psychology. And I was working at a hospital and at the very last minute, they told me I had to get the flu vaccine and everything in me said not to do it. And mm. then I just did it. Cause I really wanted this, this internship. And, and if, if only I could go back in time on both of those, both vaccinating my son and, and putting him in the care of a doctor who never gave me any information whatsoever, let alone anything approximating informed consent. Let me right. ask you, Thing. I've had I've had a, a pediatrician years ago tell me that 85% of the income coming into their practice goes to overhead. And so you really have to get three injections in a kid for the numbers to make sense in a pediatrics practice. Why do they inject uh, babies with three and sometimes six diseases at once, which like they would never encounter that in nature? That's very uh, accurate what, you're, what that pediatrician told you. I just published a paper titled Vaccine Practice Payment Schedules Create Perverse Incentives for Unnecessary Medical Procedures at What Cost to Patients? So Jack Lyons, Wheeler, and Paul Thomas published that in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice, and Research. So I have a medical practice, pediatric practice, that has about $3 million of billings. Right. So we have 30 some employees. At that time, we had 10 providers, nine or 10 providers. We're down to three right now, just the attrition due to the board stuff. But uh, of the three million billed dollars, overhead ran exactly what you quoted, about 85%. So what I decided to do was let's take a month's worth of data and look at every single vaccine given and every single vaccine refused. So at all the well visits, and we also will have some extra vaccine visits, uh, I would have on the super bill, which documents what, what services were provided on the flip side, we would have a vaccine refusal form. And so if the CDC said you're supposed to do these five, 10 vaccines, we would check them off and say, here's what the CDC says you want to do. You can refuse whichever ones you want to refuse. So we had perfect documentation of what was given and what was refused. What we found was that if you extrapolate it for a year, I lost almost $1.3 million just in the admin fee for the vaccines that were refused. Now, 
That was real world data because we looked at by insurance company by insurance company, they would reimburse you at a different rate. So this was actual dollars lost because we honored informed consent. With overhead running 85%, you cannot lose $1.3 million out of $3 million. So therein lies the problem for pediatric practices and why the, the pressure has been to get Maybe I shouldn't say it's why, but it's definitely an incentive, right? That that office managers know this. They they push really hard to make sure all the kids are coming in for their well visits, so they get their vaccines because it's so profitable. You know, that's incredibly courageous of you that you, and I'm sure you absolutely knew that you were going to be losing that money. That you lost 1.3 million dollars. What I guess a year. For, a year for over 10 years. Yeah, I'd be I'd be a wealthy man if I was following the CDC schedule. Yeah, I would Robin, I would walk into a room and basically by going through informed consent in a proper manner, I would talk people out of several vaccines and I mean I just had to smile inside. I knew I was doing the right thing, so I didn't feel bad about it at all, but I'm thinking to myself, this is not good business. <laughs> I mean it's you know, it's not a good business move to talk people out of vaccines. You well, and and you just told me <laughs> that your unvaccinated patients aren't going to be a lucrative patient for you either because they're not they're they're like one third to one sixth as likely to be back for all these other medical problems caused by their right. vaccines, apparently. Yeah. Well, an interesting uh, caveat pivot from that comment you just made. We have now we used to have about somewhere between 15 and 17,000 patients when I had 10 providers. I'm down to three nurse practitioners, and we just did a census recently. We're a little bit below 10,000. It is unheard of for three nurse practitioners to be able to take care of 10,000 patients. Why can we do that? Because they're they're all so healthy. Yeah, so we don't have, we have hardly any sick kids in our office. I mean, they just are healthy. So they come in for routine care, but that's fairly easy to manage. And it's, you know, and it's in the, totally in the wheelhouse of our nurse practitioners. So yeah, you could, you could get by with a lot fewer pediatricians, uh, if you weren't, uh, creating the devastation that appears to be happening with all these vaccines. And I'll be misquoted as saying, I'm saying that vaccines are causing all this stuff. No, I am sharing data. That's all. The data, it's the data that is saying that this is happening. And since we now understand the mechanisms of how neurodevelopmental delay can happen, both the uh, immune activation and the direct toxicity, just to name a couple big ones, uh, we have mechanism, we have uh, time, you know, they get the vaccine, then they have problems. Uh, and we have uh, sig- very significant data. I mean, the significant level of most of my data is so incredibly powerful, powerful, it's undeniable. So all we need now is more studies. And, you know, the, the news media, the, the medical boards, the uh, Academy of Pediatrics, uh, the CDC, the NIH, they should be scrambling to replicate this data. And it would not be difficult to do. Your, your, your family is a perfect example. You have an unvaccinated child. You have a partially vaccinated child. You have a largely fully vaccinated child. Those children could be age matched with somebody from the same general area that you're living in. And you could look at the data. Any large medical system has enough data that they probably have enough unvaxxed patients within their system to match them to a vaccinated child and look, look at the outcomes. They just won't do it. Yeah. And everybody should ask their pediatrician. I mean, if you guys just want to see, 
you know, like how much your pediatrician knows, give them a quiz for heaven's sake. Cause you're hiring them. You, you ask questions of your mechanic to find out what he knows before or what kind of experience he has working on your kind of car. Like why would we not ask our, our um, pediatrician questions? Like every doctor or professional I work with or lawyer or whatever, I ask them questions. They always tell me, they always say, no one's ever asked me questions like that. Like I literally, if I hire an attorney, I'll say, what quartile or uh, where'd you graduate in your class? <laughs> or, you know, and same thing with medical school. And they're just like, no one's ever asked me that. I'm like, well, you know, if you, if you did well in school, I think you should be rewarded by your patients being able to ask, you know, where'd you graduate? I don't want to hire. That's the people, people listening to this. I hope you think about it. Like you just sign up because somebody's in business. You think that because they're in business, they must be good at what they do. If I've learned one thing in 54 years and I've been gainfully employed the entire adult period, you know, I think I started working on a work permit when I was 15. It's that a whole lot of people do stuff that they're anywhere from marginal to bad at <laughs> for a living. And and yeah. lots of them make a good living doing the thing, doing something they're really bad at. Yeah. Well, medicine has become, unfortunately, almost how well can you follow a protocol? Which is why they're delegating most most of the medicine to, I mean, even vaccines, you can get them now at a pharmacist. Uh, in our state, they've passed laws that uh, dentists, EMTs, optometrists, ophthalmologists, um, who else? A whole, uh, pharmacies, of course, can give vaccines. So you, you take the doctor out of the equation. We don't even need you. Uh, we're just going to vaccinate and then we'll advertise on TV what medications you need for your symptoms. So we don't need any doctors anymore. I was having this conversation with my husband last night who, um, is black and he, I was, I was telling him recently about the William Thompson, um, situation. At the, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was 20 years that he, and he, he his uh, conscience was bothering him too much. He was sweeping under the rug that black boys were dying at something like, I might be off on the numbers, 400% the rate of white boys or, or maybe black boys who didn't have all the vaccines. And we were, we're moving right now and he was going through his stuff to pack and he found his vaccine schedule. And I looked at it and I said, I knew it. I knew it because I've told him because he's one of 14 children. Like I was telling you before yeah. Um, and eight of them were adopted and one of them died of SIDS. And I've always wondered about that situation. I've always wanted to ask my mother-in-law if it, the little boy was vaccinated right before he was placed in her care. I mean, that makes sense, right? That you would, yeah. you know, scrub them all up and hand them off to the adoptive mom. But um, I have said to him, I think that you dodged a bullet. I mean, first of all, he was born in 1980. So he's, you know, he wasn't, in the group of the cohort where they're getting more and more and more and more and more. Right. Cause he was born before 1986 yep. or 1986. But I, I saw his vaccine schedule and there were several that were missing. And I was yeah. like, I knew it because honestly, like black boys have the highest rate of autism. I think of any cohort. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. The, the William Thompson uh, whistleblower status for the CDC was had to do with the paper published in the journal pediatrics uh, that showed there was no link between MMR and autism. Well, he had the data showing the link, and it's specifically for uh, black boys, it was a three to four times higher risk. And they had destroyed and hidden that data, but he kept a copy. 
So when he released that, that was, that was what was shared in the movie Vaxxed. So for folks who are listening, if you haven't seen the movie Vaxxed, you should go watch it along with 1986, The Act, which is sort of like Vaxxed 2. A uh, couple of really important documentaries about vaccination. Yeah, we've had Andy Wakefield on the show twice and he's uh, 1986theact.com, yep. which, and he takes an actual actress of a mother and father who are older first time parents and they go through It's actually a really interesting movie to watch. It yep. sounds like it would be really boring and dry, but he did a great job with it. And Andy Wakefield is another, um, another, you know, you'll be called discredited for the rest of your life and you'll have to learn how to move forward in a high vibration way to despite the ways that you've been used and abused. And I'm, you know, and I'm so sorry for that, but I also think that like you're creating so much greatness in the world that in the long run, it's not going to matter. And you had to go through this trial of fire to, to, um, to bring us this work. So I was going to say, we should all go buy Dr. Thomas's book, not just because we should learn, what he said is a more stretched out, lower risk vaccine schedule because he had to offer vaccines. Like you can't, like you can't be a pediatrician and like you wouldn't have even been able to keep your doors open without vaccines. And, and that, and don't underestimate that as the reason, you know, why pediatricians just have to do what they're told to do because when you step out of line, they, you know, now we can see, um, what happens, but we should buy the vaccine friendly plan because I believe pretty soon you won't be able to buy it. Uh, we'll see. They've tried to pull it off of Amazon, but it's still a bestseller. Um, yeah. Also, if people want to support the work I'm doing, paulthomasmd.com forward slash freedom to choose. Uh, and you can find different ways of supporting some of the work I'm doing there. Uh, but yeah, no, Robin, I actually feel blessed. Thank you for, um, I like your high vibration, uh, concept. I, I am now free. I, when I, when this first happened to me, I was like, felt like my world was falling apart, but it allowed me to slow down and actually get in touch with, um, yeah, a different energy source, love. And, uh, I'm like, I'm learning and growing in ways I never thought possible. So I'm just delighted actually with the direction my life is taking and I'm more able, I think, to help others. Good. And it sounds like you're not stepping out of the fight, even though you're not seeing patients right now, you're taking on an even bigger research project with some of these other brave colleagues. That's the hope. That's the hope. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited to see what comes out of it because, um, gosh, every day I talk to people and I, I've, I've gone to the point, gotten to the point where I've gone up to people in restaurants because I overheard the conversation that the parents are having with their daughter to bully her into getting the vaccine. And I, I will literally talk to perfect strangers and it's like, I considered a challenge. Like, how can I speak to them in a way that they will be open-hearted to? I mean, I, begged my, I didn't beg my sister-in-law who is pregnant to not get the COVID vaccine, but I reached out to her with a bunch of information and she ignored me and she got the vaccine anyway. I called my mother-in-law's doctor and begged him to call her and tell her that because she had already had COVID, already had antibodies and was deathly ill from the first shot. Yeah. Deathly ill from the first shot. Uh, I begged him to call her and tell her she didn't need the second one because she, uh, you know, I, I talked to her and I said, did you know? Cause here she is. She's like, she's like the United Nations mother. She gave birth to six children. My yeah. husband comes from a family where his father is a minor. I mean, these are not wealthy people and they right. adopted eight children from all over the world. And, oh and I said to her, do you know that, that there's a culture, uh, medium of aborted fetal tissue that these vaccines are, are grow, grown in? And she said, 
I don't care. I get my shots. She's from Germany. She's a wonderful person and we need her in the world. And I called her doctor and I don't care who knows. And I said, please, my mother-in-law thinks that she's supposed to get the second shot. I'm sure you don't want her to get the second shot when she nearly died of the first one. And she's already had COVID. Please call her and tell her she doesn't have to. And of course he didn't. And she got the second shot and was horribly, horribly ill. And now we have to worry about the long-term effects, which. Yeah. It sounds like she survived it. Yes. She is still with us. Well, that's good. She is still with us. Well, you're very brave. Uh, That's a hard thing to do to talk to people about a topic like this when they really, I I find it challenging anyway to, to, try to give people advice on a topic that they're not really wanting advice on. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is really, really hard to do that. Well, it's something I, I have a new show called doctors and science. Well, it's against the wind doctors and science under fire. And uh, people can access that show at doctors Uh But that's my goal with that show is yes. Highlight the important information that people are not getting in mainstream media but try to find a way to do it so that, you know, we can welcome even people who don't understand into our community of understanding. And um, I know you're trying to reach people as well. And that's, that's part of the most important work that we can do. Yeah. And, and really right now, unfortunately, most of the people who are listening to my show, I'm preaching to the converted. Um, However, everybody listening and I encourage them often, you know, someone who is pregnant and they don't know to ask these questions and they won't know until their child is injured. And they're me who I will for the rest of my life regret that I have a classically MMR injured child. Yeah. And it was right after his shots. He went from, he was born at nine pounds and 23 inches and he was completely and totally healthy. He went from that to being in and out of hospitals and, and almost died many times in yeah. hospitals for a year, fell below the fifth percentile for weight, diagnosed failure to thrive. I mean, And it still took me years to put it together. And I want to make this important point. No one ever reported it to VAERS. I wouldn't know. You would think here you talk now like, oh, you would have reported. I didn't know what VAERS was. I I don't think most doctors have ever done that. Doctors still don't report because, Robin, we are not taught that, take example with my study, all those conditions are appear to be related to vaccines. Well, nobody knows that. Right. right. They're just taught that vaccines are safe and effective. So when all these random, random things happen, they don't make the connection. Therefore, how could you report it? Well, and I, and I believe that when it comes to childhood vaccinations, correct me if I'm wrong, but if the baby dies of SIDS 49 hours after the vaccination, it doesn't count. Only if it's within the first 48 hours and things, things of that nature. Is that still the case? Yeah. I'd have to double check to, to, to confirm that for you, but sounds right. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, the point is there's an arbitrary line. And, and so I have had people who are um, one degree of separation from me die of the COVID vaccine, several in fact already. And they're all being told all of them that I am aware of because several times every day, people are reaching out to me and saying, Hey, you know, my best friend just died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital a week after her vaccine. In every single case, the patient is being told, well, it's a week after, it's two weeks after, they're not related. Mm -hmm. And it's not going down as a cause of death. The vaccine is not being reported to theirs. I mean, I told you about three sisters who follow me and their brother, who is a medical doctor, died recently. He's a neurologist. 
And I have permission to talk about their story because she sent me these three sisters who have followed me for 15 years and come to my lectures all over the country. I did 450 lectures in six years all over the country. Um, and their brother is not, you know, it was, I say, mm. I want to say two weeks later after his second um, Pfizer job that yep. he died in his sleep and they're calling it a heart attack. And uh, nobody's reported it to VARES, even yeah. his sisters who were wide awake and begged him not to get the shot. Yeah. No, it's, uh, there's going to be enough devastation. I predict that people will start waking up, but how, how sad that this wasn't rolled out properly. Right. I mean, if you even feel like the, the danger from COVID is as great as it was, which we now know it isn't, you know, early on, we didn't know, right? We were getting all these images out of Italy and it looked like, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. We've got to do something. And so you, you, in a way you could not blame people for wanting to try to do something. Sure. But we know now, I mean, you know, open your eyes and, and look at the literature and listen to people who are like just that story you just shared. I mean, hello, <laughs> we need to listen and pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, and the virus, 99.85%, according to Stanford's Dr. John Ioannidis, you guys are surviving this, 99.85%. And that's even though 90-year-old people are getting it and people who've had two heart attacks are getting it and people who've been through four years of chemo are getting it and still 99.85% are surviving it. Yeah, Just and like that- Tony Fauci predicted March 26th, of last year when he published the New England Journal of Medicine saying that he predicted that that one-tenth of one percent would be the death yeah. rate. He's known. He's known all along. Yeah. Well, and what sadly what they've done with the, quote, effectiveness of the vaccines is they're using something called a relative risk reduction instead of the absolute risk reduction. So for the Pfizer one, for example, doing nothing from their own data, you can just go look at their own data, it protects less than one percent. Yeah. So, so in my practice, which is pediatrics, of course, which is safer anyway, kids are doing fine with COVID, but we've had zero ER visits, zero hospitalizations, zero deaths, doing nothing. Well, if we vaccinated, we would get not quite 1% benefit. Well, nothing was perfect. How can you do better than nothing? It just does not make any sense. If you're a parent listening, uh, the data's out there. There is absolutely no scientific reason to vaccinate children, even healthy young adults, even healthy older adults, uh, maybe the very old or people who are severely um, compromised with underlying conditions. You might take your chances, although from what I'm reading lately, it seems like the vaccinated are getting sicker at a higher rate than the unvaccinated, regardless of age. So more will be revealed. We still don't have long-term data. Right. It's the, it's the responsibility of those of us who are awake to step out on a limb and speak up to people. Take this interview and get it in the hands of a pregnant woman, you know, take the link to this interview, put it in the notes in your phone. And when you meet a young mother, you know, there's got, there's got to be a way that you feel comfortable asking, you know, you don't have to walk up to a stranger in a restaurant, as I told you I have done. And say, could I show you something? Could I just show you some information that might make you think a little bit differently? Like, however you have to do it. I mean, I, I couldn't be nicer. I use my best skills. I was I was a psychologist after all. I know how to say things that people will be more likely to accept that rather than less likely. So, you know, take responsibility. Like, does it matter if people get mad at you? Like, wouldn't you rather have somebody 
get mad at you because they don't want the information that you want to offer them. I mean, I learned that my child was vaccine injured after a long, long time of figuring out myself. And I, I just wish someone would have said it to me and maybe I would have pushed back a little bit. Maybe I'd been like, you're, you're an idiot anti-vaxxer. Like people call me, maybe I would have said that. So what if it plants a seed and then maybe it's the second person who tells them that, that they're like, wow, that's two smart people who care about me, who told me that I should learn more. So let me, let me ask you one more big question uh, before you tell us where everyone can find you. Dr. Thomas is if you could be super honest and I hope that like the situation you're in right now that you feel like you can be honest with us, but say whatever you feel to you're a brand new parent right now in 2021. What decisions would you make vaccinating your child or not vaccinating them? Well, I can't give medical advice, right? So they've pulled my license. So this is informational only. And this is a theoretical question about what I would do if I were a new parent with a new baby. And no, I would not give a single vaccine. The risk benefit analysis just doesn't add up. And I've got the data. It's published. I've got 35 years of working in pediatrics. I, my data is the real deal. It's not, I mean, this is just about as real world data as you can get. And it's exactly what I've been seeing for the last 35 years. The unvaccinated are hands down the healthiest. Now, mind you, I have to be willing as a new parent to take the risks of each of those diseases for which there is a vaccine. And I would be willing, right? It's not that there's zero risk. Well, for some things, there's zero risk. So let's take the first one. You just go into the hospital and your baby was just born, and they're going to try to get you to do a hepatitis B vaccine. There is zero risk of your baby getting hepatitis B as long as birth mother was hepatitis B negative, which 99% of moms are, more than 99%. So that one you can refuse and sleep like a baby knowing that you took on no additional risk and you avoided a whole bunch of harm. That one shot, that newborn hep B vaccine with 250 micrograms of aluminum is probably the single largest trigger of neurodevelopmental problems of all the vaccines because you're hitting that newborn when they're so immature, the blood-brain barrier is wide open. So that's a no. Then you just go through them one by one. What's the risk? So hep, hep B, they try to give it to you in the, hosp- the baby in the hospital, probably just because of access. I said no to that one. Um, that's the, which is the one that's sexually transmitted or by that's a drug needle. Yeah, that's so, the one. So it makes no sense. You guys, it makes no sense. I mean, if all you do is speak up to a young mother about, did you know that in the hospital, that's a great actual leading way to talk to a mother. Don't talk about the whole big giant issue of vaccines. Yeah. Say, Hey, by the way, I want to tell you something. Let me give you a little inside information about when you your baby is born, they will want to inject your baby against hep B. And the only way your baby's going to get hepatitis is through a drug needle or sexual contact, which would be at the earliest 15 years later. And by then there's absolutely no immunity anyway. So really look into that because if you could plant that seed, if there's yeah. some awareness about that, if they choose out of that, that's that baby step that maybe would get them to learn about vaccines in general or one at a yeah. time. Because I evaluated them all one at a time. And I decided that the one that I felt was lowest risk enough that I would actually give it to my child, if it could be separated from, you know, diphtheria and pertussis, because I didn't want those was, was tetanus. Except that then I learned that only 50 people a year die of tetanus and all of them are over the age of 50. So I didn't give my kids that either. 
But anyway, carry on. Yeah. So yeah, you, well, you you just said how how to think about it. I'd say the hepatitis B for newborns, as long as birth mother does not have hepatitis B, that's a no brainer. Don't do it. At least this is what I would do for myself, right? I'm not giving medical advice, but it just makes no sense, no scientific sense. And since we now know it's not giving lasting immunity, which you alluded to, they need to change that and remove it from the newborn period completely, put it back to the teenagers where it was before. But no, they don't because they've got profits. They would lose 10 years of profits, billions of dollars. They're not willing to lose the money to do the right thing. And then with each of the rest, you do the same thing. How? What is the risk of a newborn or an infant dying from whooping cough? Because that's always the big scare, right? Your, your kid could die of whooping cough. Well, the average number is about four or five deaths per year in the United States out of how many births? Four million, roughly. So it's a one in a million chance of dying from whooping cough. We don't even know if that vaccine is going to prevent that one death, but nevertheless, it might theoretically. So can you live with that? I can't. I would much rather take a one in a million risk of death than inject a known huge dose of aluminum with all the autoimmunity and developmental neurodevelopmental problems it might bring on to my poor baby who can't make that decision. So you can't take it out. You're doing something to your baby that they have no choice in and you can't remove it once it's in there. You've got to think as a parent, go with your mommy gut, your heart. Does this feel right? When you do the research first, of course, and then once you are aware of what's in the vaccine that could cause harm, does it feel right given that the potential benefits a reduction of a one in a million event? It, it just doesn't add up in my opinion for me, right? But each person, some people are so afraid of, by the time you get to the COVID thing, right? They're, they're so afraid that they're going to take a big risk for a little bit of potential benefit. And, and that's, everybody's got to decide for themselves. How scared am I of the disease? How scared am I of the, the side effects from the vaccine? And which, you know, weigh it up. Fears about risk, fears about, uh, I mean, how much you think it's going to benefit you. And you make your own decision. That's informed consent. Uh, but right now with the data I have, if it were me, no way. The unvaxxed kids are just so incredibly healthy. It's unbelievable. It is shockingly unbelievable how healthy they are. The people, you know, you'll hear the stories of, well, my immunocompromised child and my cancer chemotherapy child shouldn't be around these unvaxxed kids. No, it's the opposite. The unvaxxed kids don't get sick, so they're not going to give your chemo kid or your immunocompromised kid anything because they're always healthy. Watch out for those vaccinated kids who are going to be always sick. They're the ones that are going to pass something on to your immunocompromised or chemotherapy kid. I'm just saying, if you want to go with data and science, that's where the science is, but it's not shared in that way. No, as you were talking, I had this really powerful impression and I've never, like my audience who's listened to me through hundreds of episodes has never heard me say anything like this, but I had a very powerful impression that some people's lives are going to be saved from this conversation that you and I are having. And so I'm talking to you, my listener, Someone who's watching this, it might be because you share this to a new mom. I wish someone had shared with me. I wish someone had shared with me information like this before. I feel you, Robin. Before. So tell everyone where they can uh, reach you, remind them the name of your book, Dr. Paul. Uh, the, the book for a new parent who's trying to start down the road of what to do about vaccines is called The Vaccine-Friendly Plan. And then I'd say, if you want to support some of my work, go to paulthomasmd.com. 
forward slash freedom to choose. Uh, if you want to get involved with my new show, I think it's a great resource. We, we're, it's heavy on COVID right now just because that's what people yeah. need to make decisions about. And that's just doctorsandscience.com. Doctorsandscience.com. One quick tip before, um, before we go, just because we're on this subject. But uh, this morning, I offered each of my children a large amount of money to review a few pieces of content for an hour about the COVID vaccine and then get on the phone with me for 30 minutes with an open mind and heart on both of our parts. And that might sound like a crazy thing to do, but you guys, I, you, you, you know, for you, it might be 20 bucks. It depends on what your kid's willing to do it for. My kids, two, the two that I would really like to watch this, they make a lot of money. They make six figures every summer, knocking doors and selling in Southern California. So I, I gave them a, an amount of money that hurt. But it could be life changing. So consider doing that. Like, hey, kid, I will give you this if you will. Then you curate the content. Maybe it's this conversation. Maybe it's another video that you've seen. The the Dell Big Tree where he puts on a whiteboard the football the football metaphor with Dr. Geert Vandenbosch, who is a virologist, immunologist, deep, deep, deep inside the vaccine industry, has made a living working for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gabby shows what Geert Vandenbosch is saying, which is this is a terrible mistake and we are going to kill millions and millions of people. So anyways, I want to just throw that in there, but let's definitely all go support Dr. Paul Thomas. Unfortunately, he won't be the only one who will lose his license. And I actually have some ideas. I'll reach out with you later, but we are probably going to set up private membership associations under which um, doctors who lose their license by being good people and practicing good medicine can practice as whatever it is, coaches, whatever. But I have an amazing attorney I'm working with, but stay tuned, everyone. Well, we're on the same wavelength. That's my next venture is coaching. Good. We need yep. you. We probably need you as a coach. You can probably say more and you don't. Yeah. You don't have to oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. we're on You're the same wavelength. You're a hero and I appreciate Robin, so, every So are you, Robin. Thank you so much for your work. Hey, God take care. You. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs>